Take a seat. Was that good or what? With every breath that I'm able, I will sing of the goodness of God. What a great message. What a great heart that song has there. Um, good morning, everyone. How are you going? I'm Gavin, if you haven't met me before. And uh, I'm married to Natalie. And uh, she is punching way above her weight, obviously. I'm kidding. Look at her. Far out. And uh, yes, Dave, you are right. We are, we, we are doing half of the message, uh, this, this um, half of the, the series. And I hope you don't mind. Um, just tell me if you don't want to do this, but is it okay if we jump in the deep end this morning? Yeah. Is that okay? Or you want me to tell a joke and kind of a little bit softy soft? Tell a joke? I am a joke. I shouldn't be up here. I'm a joke. No, I'm kidding. Um, I'd like to start off by jumping in the deep end, and I, I want to ask you a question, and you can give me the answers if you want to. I'm quite interactive. Um, what do you think people feel, newcomers, when they walk into any church? Scared? Apprehensive? Curious? Great. Alone. That's a beautiful one. Scared, apprehensive, alone, curious. Anybody else? Perplexed? Yeah? Was there one over here? Overwhelmed. This is a good list, and, and I know that the list can go on and on and on. This is what people experience when they walk into churches, and it's not the church's fault, I would say, maybe. Maybe not. Uh, I feel that. I've been a Christian for more than half of my life. And I walk into some churches or I meet some Christians and I am scared and apprehensive, curious, perplexed, nervous sometimes. And I don't know what to expect. For years I've worked outside of the church. I've worked inside of the church as well for some chunk of my life, but I've worked outside of the church as well. And to have conversations with people about what they think of God and what they think of the church brings mostly negative answers. People feel like if they walk into the church, they're going to, whether they're judged or not, they feel like they're going to be judged they feel like they're going to be told or at least feel like they're not doing enough for God. I feel that a lot when I walk into the church, some churches. Sometimes this church, uh, they feel like, and I feel like sometimes, I'm not doing enough. And the truth is, I'm probably not doing enough for God in my day-to-day -day life, if I'm to be honest. Over the last three weeks, um, we've been dealing with a verse that can have the potential to make people feel like they're not doing enough. I'm really bad at this. Are you? I'm bad at giving all of my heart to God. I'm really bad at giving all of my soul to God. I don't even know what that, how to do that. Nat preached a message three weeks ago, two weeks ago, uh, about having a broken soul and about how Jesus is the one that can make us whole. And I am not whole. I um, loved your message last week, Brett, where you talked about having a, 
well, you talked about a lot of stuff and it was so raw and it was so real and it hit me hard in that seat and I could not move. And I think that everybody felt that you couldn't, you couldn't hear a pin drop on metal, could you, when we were here, because the Holy Spirit was here. And I'm really bad at that. My brain goes all over the place all the time. Uh, and the first week when Dave spoke about how to love God with all of our hearts, um, yeah, I'm bad at that too. Are you? Probably, if we're to be honest. Um, and Dave was really intimate and really, really, um, really open and said that he himself, and he rattled off a really extensive list at the end of it where he said that he has lots of fear inside of him, and I do too, and you probably do too, or you're, you're probably, you could be a perfect Christian and you don't. But he, he rattled off this list of, of things that he has in, in his heart that he's scared of, and he covers it with excuses. Do you know what that feels like? To cover the fear inside of you with excuses. I know God wants me to do this, but I can't do that because I'm a dad of five kids and I've got to make their breakfast. Right? I can't do this because I'm really tired. And if I'm honest, most days... I am exhausted just from life alone. Exhausted with kids, exhausted when Nat and I sit down at the end of every night and I want to talk and be open and be real and, and just let the love of God into my family. And I'm the spiritual head and I'm really bad at that. I have to be honest with you. I am so bad at this verse. And it is easy to come to this verse and feel that. And you probably feel a little bit of that too. Over the last three weeks, and today, you might feel like, I'm not doing enough. The Bible says, this verse says, uh, love the Lord, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and today I'm talking about all of your strength. Some days I feel exhausted and I can't do that. My all might be that much of me. Does anyone feel like that too? And the last three weeks, when we've jumped into this verses of church, one thing is so clear from Nat's message, from Dave's message, and from Brett's message, is that you cannot come to this verse without feeling at least a little bit scared and most certainly vulnerable. Because it shows you, it puts a mirror up against you and says, all your heart. And if I'm a non-Christian walking in here today, and someone says, you've got to love God with all your heart, I would feel bad. It is very hard to preach this message without accidentally stepping into a steaming pile of religion. We hate religion, don't we? The religious attitude. You have to, must, love the Lord your God with all your heart. You must love him with your soul. You must Love him with your mind. It is impossible to do that. I feel, but I'm probably wrong. But the Bible tells me that I should. So let's talk about the word love. The word love in this verse is agape love. And you've heard that word before, agape. And this verse, I think, is around 140 times in the New Testament. Love. It's a social love. It's not a romantic love that I have with Nat. It's a social love. Love your neighbor. And the word is mostly used in, this, in this, the place of welcoming people. 
this verse is saying welcoming, welcome Jesus into your mind, into your soul, into your heart, and into your strength. Welcome him. Entertain him is another use of this word. To entertain, to host the presence of God in your mind, in your heart, in your soul, and in your strength. Heart, mind, and soul. Those first three things are very internal. I can sit on my backside and be 100% full. I can be loving him fully with those first three things and sit down and do literally nothing. I can do that. I do that when I'm worshipping God out the back there. I do it in the mornings on uh, five o'clock in the mornings when I'm sitting there reading the Bible. I can do that. That is so easy for me to do that. But the fourth thing is not internal. The fourth thing there, without all of our strength, in the Bible, this word strength is with our ability, outward ability to love God, with our force, and I like this one, with our might, and I love this one, with the power over external things. Whatever you are doing in your day, wherever you work, whatever family you have, Whatever coffee shop you're at, love him externally. It's a public way of loving God. And that's hard for some of us because we do it all internally and it's such a great space to be in the presence of God in our prayer closet or in the car when you're listening to music, worshipping God. But to externally love him with all of our strength is so much harder because people are now watching and people are potentially judging. That's why this verse makes us vulnerable, because it is asking us to step up and do something for God externally. And that is tough to do when people are watching and people are probably judging. It is a vulnerable place for us to be in. And I want to say, I want to ask you this. How can we actually use all of our life, all of our strength to love God? How can we do it? In our own strength, we can't. I can't. I've been a Christian for a long time. I can't do this with all that I am. I can't. I've tried in all of my strength and I'm a fool and I make a mess. I make a mess of my marriage. I make a mess of my kids. I make a mess of my work if I try and do this in my own strength. Do you or is this, am I just the terrible person up the front here? Because this is a hard place for me to be in. Brett, so open last week. Dave, so open three weeks ago. Nat, so open. So vulnerable, so inspiring. It was, it was, the last three weeks have been hard for me to walk out there and have a coffee because I've been messed up. And I don't want to say, hey, bro, how's it going? What's news? How's work? How good was the last Star Wars episode? My gosh. Andor, so cool. So cool, so gritty, so lovely, while internally I'm going, I am so bad at giving God my heart, my mind, my soul. I am so bad at it. Getting in the car, okay, kids, let's go and have lunch. In the front seat of the car while the kids are fighting in the back seat and Nat's going, let's go and get a coffee, what do you want to do today? I'm just like internally going, I'm a bad Christian. We can't do it in our own strength. There is only one way that we can sustainably do this. And we've sung about it today, 
and we'll sing about it later. And it is the love of God. Can I tell you one of my favourite stories in the Bible? Let me move this out of the way because I, I like to tell stories. And it's a bit weird that Hugo's up the back there now because um, I'm going to mention him in a minute. Every night when I do bedtimes, I take too long to do the bedtimes. Nat's sitting out on the lounge just waiting. Come on, she's done all her rounds with the kids and then I go in and have a chat and have a pray and whatever, sometimes pray. Uh, but a few, a little while ago, I was sitting on Hugo's bed and we were talking about Minecraft or something, mate, weren't we? And he just said to me, completely devoid of what we were actually talking about, he said, Daddy, can you teach me how to fall in love with Jesus? Isn't that a question? I nearly fell off his bed. I nearly burst into tears because I realised that, no, I can't teach you how to love Jesus. But what a beautiful, intimate, lovely question from a little guy who just goes, I want to fall in love with Jesus. I can't teach him how to do that, but I can expose him to the person and the heart of Jesus and pray that he is drawn to Jesus. The story I want to tell you today is from the New Testament, and it's about the woman at the well. Does anybody know this story? I'm going to tell it again, I'm sorry, if you don't know this story. Uh, just, to, just to, before we start into it, to, to pick up where I'm, I want to jump in, I just want to give you a little bit of history. Uh, 721 BC, the northern kingdom of Israel, I'm just going to paint a visual map because I'm super visual, uh, the northern kingdom was exiled by the Assyrians. They came in, took the Jews away. But there were a few people left. In 531, I think, 531 BC, the southern kingdom, Judea, the same thing happened. People were exiled, this time into Babylon, and a few people were left, right? In the northern and southern kingdom, those people that were left, they intermarried with the occupying force. They had babies. They enjoyed the culture. They still worshipped the five books of the Bible, the five first books of the Bible. They still did that, and they found a mountain that was their new holy mountain. Not, Israel, not Jerusalem anymore, but this holy mountain. And they would go there, and they would worship God, kind of, mostly, and they thought they were doing the right thing. Then, about 200 years later, the exiles came back into these two kingdoms, and the Samaritan people were the ones that were intermingling. These were the ones that had babies, who adopted culture, and it's, it was hard for them not to do that. They stayed there. We don't fully know why some of them stayed there. We can assume maybe some of them were valuable to the occupying force, so they got all the useless people out and sent them over, and the other ones that were left, we're going to use your gifts and your talents. And these people intermarried and had kids. So when these pure Jews came back, they looked at the Samaritan people and just went, you compromised who you are. You compromised our faith. So we're not fully accepting you. In fact, we don't like you. And then Nehemiah tried to rebuild Jerusalem, and these, these, these half-Jews actually resisted Nehemiah rebuilding Jerusalem. So that was a real problem, because the pure Jews and the half-breeds were fighting to bring back the true God, to bring back true 
So the people who came back, they were, they were listening to the prophets, they were, they, were, they, they, list, they, they had the, the Old Testament like we have it now, but the, the Samaritans, they didn't. They, in the Jews' minds, they had a half understanding and they were half-breed Jews. So, most Jews tried to avoid that space. Now we come into the story of the woman at the well. Jesus is down in Judea, his disciples are baptizing people and the Pharisees are getting a little funny about that. So Jesus goes, you know what, let's go back to Jerusalem, uh, let's go back up to Galilee. Most Jews would cross over the Jordan and avoid Samaria and go into Galilee that way. Most Jews would deliberately take an extra half day's walk so that they wouldn't have to walk through the scungy part of town, the Samaritan part of town. Not Jesus. Jesus goes and walks straight through the guts of Samaria. He knows the history. Of course he does. He knows the history of the Samaritan people and he chooses to deliberately take his disciples straight through the scungy part of town. And then we come into verse 4. Now he had to go through Samaria. This is Jesus and his disciples. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sichar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son. sons. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus was tired from the journey, and he sat down in the, by the well, and it was the sixth hour, the middle of the day. It was hot in the middle of the day. So Jesus sat there, and then we find, we find out that he sends his disciples into the town, which is not far away, you can see it. He sends his disciples into the town to get food. So it's just Jesus sitting at the well. And then this Samaritan woman, by herself, walks up to draw water in the middle of the day. In that part of town, the women would go out in the morning to get their their day's use of water, to make whatever they needed to make in the house. But this woman, by herself, was walking out in the middle of the day. This tells us that this woman was actually probably a social outcast from the town. We find out later on why. She was a social outcast. She was coming to what she thought was a religious figurehead, and she thought, she's, I'm about to be judged by this Jew. I'm about to feel scared. I'm about to feel anxious. I'm about to probably be fully judged. And I know what that feels like because I was judged this morning by the women of my town. I know what it feels like to be judged and to have my life choices rammed down my throat. So she walks up to Jesus, doesn't say anything. He just says, can I have a drink of water? She says to him, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How do you ask me for water? And he says to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who is asking for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. To her, this Jew is going to serve me? Get out of here, you don't know what you... I, I'm not going to accept that. She's really on the back foot here. She does this every day, same time every day, and this Jew is here and being smart to me. 
This is in her mind. She says, sir, you have nothing to draw the water out. How are you going to... She's not going to let him use hers. You have nothing to draw the water. How are you going to get the water? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water of yours is going to get thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give you will never thirst. She's perplexed. She doesn't know how to respond. So she's smart to him. And she says... She doesn't say, oh, God, give me that water. This would be great. She says, well, why don't you give me that water so I don't have to come out here again every day? Give me that water so I can never thirst again and I will never have to come out and do this. If it's living water and it's overflowing, then I'll take that. She's, not, she's, not even, she's just being silly logical. She's pushing him away and keeping him at arm's distance because she feels like the hit's going to come soon. When are you going to start judging me? You're being clever, but when are you going to start judging me? People can come into this church. Music's great, but when am I going to start feeling judged? Jesus says, go and call your husband and come back. Completely, di- completely disconnected from that water conversation, go and call your husband. He's not being defensive. He's not being arrogant. He's being loving to her. Go and call your husband. And she s- says, it's not a smart answer now. She just says, I have no husband. And then Jesus says, you are right to say that. You have had five husbands. And the man you're living with now, you're not married to. He is calling her out. He is not judging her. He is literally just telling her what she's done and who she is. This throws her. And she doesn't know what to do. So her mind is ticking. What do I do now? And she says to him, Sir? She doesn't call him teacher, which is a disrespect to him. She says, Sir? I know that the people in our past worshipped on this mountain over here, and they still do now. But you Jews say that there's only one place to worship, and that's in Jerusalem. What do you say about that? And she, he says to her, Believe me, woman, there is a time that's coming, sister, where you will worship the Father neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from all the Jews. He doesn't say us. He says the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks in spirit and in truth. Holistic person. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman then says, I know the Messiah is coming. And he says, that's me. I'm not going to read the rest of that story because it gets a little longer. What I do want to talk about just quickly is how Jesus treats this woman. She's a Samaritan woman. She's a woman, and he is a teacher having a theological discussion with a woman. 
Men back then did not teach women and certainly would not teach a sinful Samaritan woman, but he does. He treats her with dignity when she didn't deserve it or she didn't think she deserved it. He treats her with love and dignity. Is this a good Jesus? Is this a good man? I think so. He treats her with love and she's so defensive at first and then how he speaks to her, how he treats her, softens her heart and gives her hope that maybe I don't have to go back to the life that I was living. Maybe I'm not dirty. Maybe my mind is not so... Maybe I can have a moment in my life where my mind is not so scared that I'm going to be judged, where my heart is broken again by another man. Maybe my future doesn't have to be my past. Maybe tomorrow, maybe as I walk back from this well right now, my life doesn't have to be the same thing every day of me, hating myself and hating my life and just going about the routine until I'm dead. This man has treated me like no man has treated me before. This Jew has treated me like no Jew has ever treated me before. This teacher is treating me like no teacher has taught me before, like no teacher has spoken to me before. Dignity and decency is how he treats her. Now, I want to ask you a question that I ask Hugo or the kids when I tell them a story about who Jesus is and what he does. And the story is this, uh, the, the question is this. When you're sitting on the rock there and you're watching Jesus have a conversation with this woman and you see him say the things that he says and you know that he can judge her, you know that she's done wrong. And Jesus turns to you when she starts to walk back to the town. Go ahead, Dave. So he turns to you now. And she's walking off. And the Bible tells us that she leaves her water there. She leaves the jugs there. Because she is so radically changed and so beautifully treated that she cannot do anything other than run back to the people that she has disconnected herself from. And she says, come and meet this man who told me everything I've done. She steps over her vulnerability and her fear of being judged again and she says, come and experience this person who has just treated me with... I don't even know what to feel. Now, Jesus looks at you when she's walking away, just before the disciples come up. Tell me what you would say to Jesus in this moment. And if you want to share with me, go ahead. What would you say to Jesus after watching him do what he did to this woman? Anybody? Pardon? It's radical. Awesome. 
<laughs> You'd ask him for the living water. Me too. You would want what he has. Pardon? Why was he? What, yeah. You'd have questions like that. Why did you share it with a woman? I actually like that he shared it with a woman first. When he shouldn't have. In that, that religious thing, he should have shared it with a man first. Anybody else? You would cry because you would see his love and how he treated people. It's a really intimate question, and I'm sorry I've put you in that position. No, I'm not. I'm not sorry. <laughs> That's beautiful. I can't teach Hugo how to fall in love with Jesus, but I can expose him to the person of Jesus. Love, like that, an emotional experience with that man, by reading the stories in the Bible, will give you the one key to be able to love him with as much as you can of yourself, with your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's not religion. She didn't jump through a bunch of hoops to make him love her. She ran to show, to tell people about the love of God. That changed her. That gave her the strength to love him in return. Does that make sense? This is the one key to sustainably loving God, to experience his love. Dave said it earlier. 1 John 4.19 says, We love him because he first loved us. She loved him because he first loved her. And then she loved the people around her. She actively used her strength to go and love God. Can you hear me? We come to Jesus, we're finishing our series today. We come to Jesus with our broken hearts, with our fractured souls, and with our clouded minds. And he treats us with dignity, and he gives us rest in his presence. We're all broken, but in him we are already whole, and we are working out that growth into becoming the full measure of who we are. When we have that ever-deepening experience with his love, our heart, mind, soul naturally becomes drawn to him and drawn to do the things that he is asking us to do. It's impossible to love him with all of our strength without knowing who he is. If you try, you'll get burnt out. Dave said excuses, he talked about excuses that cover up justified fears. We can trust this guy. Nat said that we have deep soul fractures that come from our past, our present, from our experiences, and we can rest in him. Brett last week talked about being double-minded and always trying to be right and we're always wrong and, mate, that was power. And this is brought on by our insecurities. This guy accepts us, no matter who we are, what we've done, how we think, what you're going to do later on today, the man you've been, the woman you've been, he accepts you. 
He treats you today as if you have never been separated from God at all. Fully. He treated her as if she was never separated by the love of God. Ever. Yes, he calls her on who she is and and where she's been, but he still loves her. He doesn't harp on it like she's expecting. He loves her. And you. Folks, trying to jump through all these hoops, trying to be all of this, is just, without God, is, is religion. And we're not religious people. The global church is in a season at the moment where God is breaking off things that are stopping us from being the full measure of who we are. Standing up and being strong and solid and not bashed over by our thoughts, by our hearts, by our soul struggles, and by our laziness to sit on our butts. God is breaking those things off. Are you here for it? I am. Most days. And I come back to it and I say, I'm bad at that. But as a church, we can be in a space where this guy knows how we feel in our heart, in our mind, how we feel in our soul, and how we feel nervous to step out. And he loves us regardless. And stepping out in it, going through it, is messy. And you're probably going to get messed up if you do step into that place with Jesus. But it is worth it because he knows who you really are, even if you've had five husbands and you're working on your fifth or sixth. He knows. His love can break generational curses that are up in here and in here. His love can do that. And he's gentle about it. He's lovely about it. He's cheeky about it. You like water? I'll give you living water. And we can come to him. Maybe over the last three weeks, you have sat there and you've heard the three guys speak and you're like, excuses. You don't know what you're talking about. You yourself said you don't know what you're talking about. Like she did. Threw it in his face. But he still stands there and he looks into your heart and he says, I still love you. You could do anything. I still love you. You could think anything and you do. And I know you do. I still love you. You could treat your family bad. You could be a terrible father and husband. You could be a terrible mother and wife. And I know what you've done. But I still love you. And you can still change. You can still grow. You can still experience my heart, my love. And a revelation of that guy like that will fill your heart. It'll fill your soul. It'll quiet your mind. And it'll give you the strength to stand up and take a few steps publicly with the love of God. Is that all right? I don't know how to land this, by the way. (laughs) I'm just talking for a while. He's a good man, isn't he? My encouragement for you 
is to read the Bible. Read the stories of Jesus. Okay? Read one story of Jesus tonight or tomorrow. One story. It could be the story where Jesus is preaching and the little kids run up to him and his disciples stand in the way and say, no, 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 he's too busy. And he goes, hey, gents, let them come. Why wouldn't you let them come? And he picks them up and hugs them. That man I like. I like that guy. I like you when you do that. It could be the story when he's tired and he's preaching and he's about to send the people away but just as he, as he looks, he's like, they're really hungry. They've followed me. What food have we got, gents? Go around and find it. Five fish and loaves. Okay, we can work with that. We can work with what they've given me. And he blesses the food and he feeds the people. He's a pastor. I like that, Jesus. Read one story tomorrow or tonight. Please read one story and say, Holy Spirit, place me visually in that story. And when the story finishes and I'm sitting on a rock and I look at Jesus as he turns to me, what do I say to him about him, the man? That will be the bedrock of your strength to be able to love him fully. You're full. This is full. You might be tired at three o'clock tomorrow afternoon. Your fool might be that much. That's fine, because he can take that. You might wake up in the morning at five o'clock in the morning and your fool might be massive with a bit of coffee in there. That's great, because he'll take what you give him and he'll speak to you in that. Is that all right? Can I pray for everyone? Is that all right? Sorry, Dave, am I stepping out of the dark here if I pray on the floor? Father, Jesus... We thank you that you are a good man. We thank you that you gave us stories in the Bible that showed your love for us. We thank you that you are fun. We thank you that you are cheeky. We thank you that you do call us where we're at, but you see the deeper part of us, that we pile all this stuff up on top but you see the deeper us. And we thank you for your love for us, God. And we know, God, that that love will empower us to live as full as we can for you. Father, we make a choice today at the end of this series to try to step into a place where we are experiencing your love, not just talking about it. Satan knows about your love, but we want to experience it. Jesus, touch our hearts now as we sit here and pray and as we stand and worship. Touch our hearts, Father. Touch our hearts on a deeper level, on that level that we are hiding from you now. Amen.